Welcome everyone to Unplugged. I'm Tom Lane and today we have the pleasure of speaking with the remarkable Miss Alicia Jones Pickens, a philanthropist, advocate, mentor, motivational speaker, and executive program director of Riverview West Florissant Development Corporation. Miss Alicia, can you share a little bit more about yourself? I own my own nonprofit. I don't even know where that came from. No, I haven't been there in years. I got this information off of your bio that you sent me. Oh my gosh, she sent the wrong one. Okay, so... That's fine. Most of everything, but that's just wrong right there. It is Community of Hope. I'm actually the founder and executive director. Community of Hope. Give us a little bit more information of your various roles and what you do. The purpose of Community of Hope is we service young moms in the St. Louis metropolitan area, ages 11, all the way up into 24. Under grants, we serve them up to the age of 18. And then from 19 to 24, we have volunteer mentors uh, that take over the young moms. So when they're not ready to age out of the program, we can still hold on to them. So we provide case management baby items, resources, a lot of things uh, funding may not allow us to do. Uh, we fundraise for and get donations in for, but this organization is all about young moms and young girls of color. That's just who we are. Can you tell us um, about any other impactful projects or initiatives that you've been involved in to help these communities become self-sufficient or those in the community become self-sufficient? So I just finished up um, with Cure Violence, which was the three-year program um, up under the Urban League, but Cure Violence Global Initiative to, you know, kind of change the norm and change behaviors of our youth in our communities, you know, trying to promote a healing instead of violence. So I did that for three years, uh, which for me, in my opinion, worked amazingly well in the area we were in, which was Walnut Park East and Walnut Park West. Um, and once that was done, then um, my focus just shifted back to the young girls in the juvenile system and my young moms and, of course, even women coming home from prison. Okay, okay. I like the sound of that. Um, I'm passionate about helping young mothers as well as youth as a area educator. Um, for Lincoln University Cooperative Extension, I have a real passion for the youth in the underserved or the hood. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I like being able to be resourceful and giving them and helping them with opportunities as long as it's keeping them off the street. That's yeah. how I'm looking at it. So, yeah. but what motivates you to advocate for at-risk youth in underserved communities? And how do you see your work making a positive difference? So what motivates me is it was me. Um, <laughs> I was a mom at 14, um, afraid to tell my mom I was pregnant. Honestly, so out of touch with my body that I didn't even know I was pregnant. And that stemmed from, you know, suffering a lot of trauma as early as the age of nine, molestation, um, all of those things. And I disconnected totally from my body. I didn't even realize I was pregnant. Uh, but once my mom did find out, you know, the level of support was not that I was made to feel shamed. I was made to feel guilty that that and, and I was so disconnected with my body that everything came out of it 
what's ugly to me. Like how could, how could someone who's going through so many ugly things produce something beautiful? So you wanted me to love, um, a child. You wanted me to nurture a child that, and I didn't have anything in there cause I couldn't even love myself. So what motivates me to do this is I understand these young girls and I understand that sometimes even be it mistake or be it forceful when you find yourself in these situations that and you have generations and generations of young parents that keep having younger parents to where there's a lot of anger and unhealed hurt coming down the cycle that by the time they are here with us then of course they have no support little to no support so what motivates me is i understand what it feels like to be alone when you're giving birth and and that's something that i try my best as i said i'm right here now at the hospital with one of my moms I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be at every birth so that my girls don't have to feel that oh i love that you know you are powerful you are an amazing individual and i'm sure you hear it a lot but i don't even know you personally i have not <laughs> met you yet, but just hearing you, I'm motivated. I am motivated to reach one and teach one. Yes. Sense. So yes. that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing that you do this kind of work, but you're not only a dedicated professional, but mm -hmm. also an author of a few published novels and a motivational speaker. How yes. do your novels and speaking engagements tie into the mission of helping individuals overcome obstacles and achievement in their full potential. Well, it, it honestly all tied together because the books that I, I have 12 published novels. Um, but those books are written about things that I, I wrote about what I knew, which at the time was sex, lies, drugs. Um, that's what I knew about. So that's what I wrote about. And the younger generation picked those books up and those younger that they draw to me from that, which allows me the opportunity to then speak the growth that I've achieved to them. But those books connect me to them. And for them to know my dirt first, because I wrote a lot about my dirt and, and my mistakes and my failures and, and the things that I've had to do coming up to survive. And so um, them knowing that about me first allows them to open up and understand that I can never sit in a seat of judgment. I can meet you right where you are because I've been there. I mean, how do you tell someone how to get up out of the mud if you're too ashamed to admit you've been down dirty yourself? So that, that's the, that's my thing that I walk by and I live by. And so my motivational speaking engagements are often done at high school. So we're at the end of these speeches, I have the opportunity for these young ladies to walk up to me and said, Hey, um, what you just said, you know, that happens to me now. Um, you know, my brother does it to me or my dad does that to me or my stepdad does it. And, and so it's that connection. But if you're not transparent about the things that you've gone through and how you've come over those things, then how do you expect the youth to build that bridge of trust and understanding with you? Because it's easy to sit high and look low. And when you're saying what they should do and how they should feel and how they should behave, that that's coming off as correction. But when you're saying, Hey, I've been there and I've done that. And I, I've slept with a lot of people looking for love. I know what it is you're missing. Um, then that changes from correction to understanding. That was so powerful. Okay. I keep going there. I keep going there. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's okay. I appreciate it. Because <laughs> yeah, now I have a question. Come on. What is, what, what's your opinion as someone who is serving the youth and, you know, really nurturing their passion and their dreams that when it comes to the older generation and, and there is a um, disconnect 
there's a true disconnect between older generation and new generation in regards to we still have older generation that's thinking what happens in our house stands in our house. What happens to me stays with me. Most of our older people, like let's say 50 on up, they're mm-hmm. holding stuff to the belt. They're mm-hmm. not about everything. Mm-hmm. Even we're going to some of our grannies. You mm-hmm. know, we're sitting down and being honest, granny, I messed up. Mm-hmm. I, up, I was being provocative. I was mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. I caught up. Help me. Help me. And <clears throat> real life have mothers and grandmothers who don't know what to say or how to say it. So what is your opinion on that? My it, it's funny that you said that because I feel like that was that's the one thing that messed us up as kids. What goes on in my house stays in this house. You know why? It taught us to not speak up. It taught us to internalize. No matter what happens to me, I must keep it to myself. And the fact that I couldn't tell anyone that I'm being hurt or someone's bothering me made me feel that maybe this is just supposed to be the way it's supposed to be for me. So every no matter what happened down down the line in my life, I internalize it and turned it towards myself it just must be me i'm bad i'm dirty i'm nasty that's why they keep picking me and choosing me so that is the worst thing that happened to us but of course it was learned from generations above them as well the problem comes in is that nobody wants to be held accountable for the fact that we didn't get a playbook coming up as mothers we learned as we went along. And a lot a lot of things we learned, we learned from the generations above us. Big Mama is not there anymore. We grew up with Big Mama. But now Big Mama's 48, 50, 52, 53. She's in the club. Right. Yeah. Mama, she's not sitting at home babysitting no baby. She's at the club. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm too young. Glam off. Yes. So yeah. by the time, if I have a mom that's 52, I can have a, a grandma at 52. I've got a mom that is sitting at 27, 28. And guess what? I've got a young mom at 14 in labor. So it is, it is very, it, it's, it's time to get real. And when you talk about a generation that's stuck in their ways and they're saying, no, we were the biggest thing that we always said, or we always heard coming up was we never acted like that. When come to find you acted 10 times worse than that. But because you're stuck in this mind frame that do as I do, do as I say and not as I do, um, we're kind of, we're losing an entire generation. If you look around, there's so many young girls getting killed now. The numbers are astounding. Yeah. And it, it is because these girls are out here. I'm trying to be the bottom chick. I'm trying to be the queen bee. I'm trying to chase the bag. Really, I'm trying to validate myself and I'm trying to find some self-worth and the ways I'm trying to find it. None of these ways are good for me. But if I see my mom doing the same thing, then why is it bad for me? Right. So, and then let me take it a step further. I can see my grandma doing this. Mm. Now, if you think about it, the moms that are going to jail now, because there used to be a time when they weren't locking up moms, but mm-hmm. now they'll throw the book at you in a minute. And now you've got grandma raising babies again, mad because I got to raise them. So you're stopping my flow. I've got this man sleeping around my granddaughter, this man, this man, this man, because I'm trying to live my best life as a grandma. Right. There's a whole, we could spend three hours on this because at the end of the day, Mm. two generations up from us is where the disconnect came i'm 52 
two generations up from us is where the disconnect began. And it was so, so, and, and don't get me wrong, molestation been around for a long, long, we can go all the way back to Tamar in the Bible. Okay. molestation been around a long time so many people normalize that and turn the blind eye to it that it's just the way things happen in life there's nothing normal about a nine-year-old that should be playing with a doll wiping up blood between her legs from a grown man being inside her there's nothing okay. normal about that there's nothing normal about nothing that. normal about that nothing That's normal awesome. about 11 and 12 year old girls coming up with venereal diseases mm. And there's nothing normal about, we get calls to come to school. I get a call that'll say, hey, I need you to come up to the junior high, the elementary. Mm-hmm. We've got kids that's been involved in sex tapes. And there's a video going around about a girl and she's 11 and she's 13 and, and things that they've taped in the bathrooms of elementary school. Yeah. Wow. Where do you think they're learning that? Let's be clear. Where do you think they are learning that? Because I, I, you, 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 you're that. learning it at you. It's your, what is your greatest influencer? This is what ticks off parents when you say this. When people say it started at home, I'm so sorry. It starts at home. At the end of the day, because we throw we throw tablets and phones in front of our kids, so we don't got to be bothered with them. So what they're sitting there watching on tablets and, and phones and they on social media and they clicking on all these TikTok videos and this, 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 this. We, we don't care because as long as you're not bothering me while I'm trying to do my thing. My grandson's four. He can hit TikTok and pick up some videos and I can hear it and be like, what the heck are you watching? Right, 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 right. So at the end of the day, it's the oldest cliche, but yes, it starts at home. My neighbors used to could whoop my butt if I got out of line. Mm-hmm. My teacher, my principal, my, my pastor, and then my mom could turn around and whoop it again when she found out. Yeah. But now it's don't say nothing to my kid. Whose kid are you talking to? This, this, this. So we're just, we're so busy trying to be the kid's best friend. We're done being parents. And so this is what's... This world is going to take a lot of accountability in order to change the ways of our community. Mm -hmm. And it's going to have to start with each and every person looking at themselves and saying, you know what? I'm playing a part in this because if you're not a part of the solution, you're a part of the problem. And if you don't know where your child is at 10, 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, if you don't know that your 16 year old girl is running up in Arab gas stations, going to the back private room and then never to be heard from again. And you don't know that your 15 year old girl is meeting boys up on the bridges before school. To have sex, which turns into sex videos, because I know your daughter's doing it. How come you don't know? Mm-hmm. So it's time to check self. And it's time to get right with self. And until you check the four walls you call home, we can never step outside that door and think anything is going to change out in those streets. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you, Miss Alicia. We <laughs> Girl, we hear you. We are here with you. Okay. There's a, there's a community of us. You know what? Speaking of community, got another sidebar. How do you feel about the village? 
I know you mentioned, you know, there's some things that is going out the window. There's a disconnect. You spoke on the disconnect that I asked about. But do you think that we still have what we consider or what we used to consider a village? Is the village dead or do we just have to recreate it? Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily think it's dead. I think. Oh, gosh. Let me say it this way without ruffling feathers. We as women and I'm talking to women of color. Mm-hmm. We have the biggest problem without with, with, with not being able to love on one another yeah. without it being some mess thrown in the mix. Yeah. For you to genuinely care about your sister and everything that comes along with her, we're too busy competing with one another. We're competing with one another for attention, fame, fortune, men, everything. We even want to be the favorite auntie, so we're competing with our sister. We're too busy doing all of that to be the village. Mm -hmm. Again, the village can be recreated if we start self-checking one by one. And if and, and and in order to do that, you got to be right within you, mind, body, and spirit. I got to want the best for my sister. Therefore, anything that comes from my sister and with my sister, I want the best for as well. On period, I'm going to fix her crown. That's how I hear it. I'll pick her crown. I'll pick her up. I'll yes. my neighbor. I'll love thy neighbor. Yes. Would you, Miss Alicia? We yes. We're doing this. Yes. So, Earlier, I heard you mention something in regards to incarceration, mothers or grandmothers being incarcerated. Now, reading your bio, I did read that you've experienced incarceration as well. But what was the turning point in your life that led you to confront those past obstacles? Well, for me, honestly, it was the safety of incarceration. Well, I know that sounded funny, but I'm going to say it again. The safety of of incarceration see when you're out here in the streets and everything is moving full speed it's so easy for you to run from you but when you're locked in a room with four walls surrounding you and you can't get out of that room there's nobody to deal with but you there's no running anymore so for me i was running all the way to the point that i was trying to commit suicide i was uh, three times when i was locked up three times and for me, I was trying to get back to the safety of my father. My father passed when I was seven. Um, and that's the only man in, in the world that I ever knew loved me, like loved me. And I was trying to, in my mind, get home to him. I just want to be back where you are because everything down here hurts. So when, and I, I, I was raised in church. I knew about God. I knew Jesus loved me this. I know because the Bible told me so, but I hated God. I used to, I hated him because I thought he hated me. I thought that you let all these things happen to me because you hate me. So I'm going to hate you back. But when I attempted that third time and failed, you know, I stopped crying the first time I got molested because he told me to shut up and take it like a big girl and big girls don't cry. So I didn't cry anymore. It didn't matter what happened to me. I stopped crying. I just would get mad. I'd fight. I'd do whatever. Walk around with razor blades under my tongue. I'd fight. Or I would just soak in it and take it in and say, oh, well, that's just supposed to happen to me if you were too big for me to fight off. But this particular time, after that third time, I actually hit that floor and I cried. That nine-year-old girl cried. 
I cry for my soul. And it was as if God himself said, nope, let me not say as if it was that says now you're open and now I can talk with you. And he began to take me back at all these times in my life when I didn't think nobody was there watching my back, but he showed me he had me. The first time I left home, I walked all the way from, I don't know how, if you're familiar with these streets, but all the way from Moline Acres down to Fairground Park. Dark, by myself, unafraid, because I didn't care nothing about myself anyway. I ended up sleeping on a bench in the park that night. And it's just almost as if, he said, look, when you walked to that park and you saw that bench and you went and sat down on that bench, you looked down and there was a blanket that covered you. I kept you warm that night. There was a thing, a, a, a cover over the bench, like a pitcher's mound. He was like, all the places you could have went, I directed you there. Nobody bothered you. I kept you safe. He began to take me back and say, all the men, I was a teenage prostitute. Everybody that said they wanted to help me used me. It was, yeah, you could stay the night at my house. Yeah, you could sleep on my floor, but you got to do something for my husband or you got to do something for me. You hungry? I'll buy you something to eat, but you got to service me first for white castles that was only 25 cent back then. Everybody made me feel like I was worth a dollar or less. Nothing. But you know what he said out of all those people that you were trying to survive throughout this period, I, I kept you clean. Nobody gave you HIV. Nobody gave you syphilis, something you couldn't get rid of. That was me. I protected you. You're not sane. You're not a drug addict. You're not, you're not an alcoholic. That was me. I kept your mind. And I did that for a time such as this because now I need to show you who you are. They took from you who you were as a child. And now it's time for me to show you who you were created to be. All these gifts, all these talents, all these things that I put in you were silenced. And now it's time to raise them. And so I started going to therapy. Well, they made me go to therapy, but I started going to group therapy. And when you're going through all those things like molestation and rape, you think you're the only person in the world that's ever feeling it. But when I got to group therapy and I started hearing all these ladies, these ladies tell their stories. And I was like, man, how does she know I slept in those pajamas, two pair? How does she know I was burying myself under the cover so he'd stay away from my bed? How do they know? And it's when I realized I wasn't by myself. I wasn't the only person going through this. Somebody else had been here before, too. That gave me the courage to start finally talking. I was surrounded by some amazing women in prison. I don't care what they did to get there. God placed them in my life in an amazing time when I needed them the most and they nurtured me and they rubbed me through my tears and told me it was going to be all right just to keep going. Don't quit. Keep healing. And I did. And I came home with a purpose, a purpose to be a voice to these girls and for these girls when nobody was a voice for me or to me. Nobody ever stopped to ask me why I was wilding out in the streets. Nobody asked me what was wrong. Nobody asked me what happened. So I am that voice for them. And I'm putting all of mine on the dirt. I don't, I don't care if you see me and say, hey, I heard you was a prostitute. I was. I was. And look at me now. It ain't where you start. It's where you finish. That's the greatest thing I'm trying to teach these girls. Mistakes are going to happen. Everybody. I don't care what you have to do when you're thinking you're in survival mode. You can change it and you can turn it around. And I'm a walking testament of that.
So that is why I started this organization. And I'm going to tell you something else. Here's a caveat. I did not file. I was always afraid to step out because I always heard I was stupid. I was dumb. I was never going to be nothing. My daddy wasn't nothing. I wasn't going to be nothing. And, 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 and I wasn't good for nothing, but was what was between my leg. And, and for 30 something years, that's what I thought about myself. So even sometimes when I go into meetings with grant funders and all of that, I could still hear those words in my head. You ain't supposed to be here. You know, you stupid. You know, you dumb. They know who you are. They still think you a jailbird. You ain't nothing. And I have to stand in that moment and declare that I'm an overcomer and I've, and I've beat those odds and I'm better than that. And I deserve to be here. And that's a daily fight because you never stop healing. You never heal from this trauma. You battle it in the moment and you overcome the moment. That's healing. So I confronted my molester, one of them, which was a cousin of mine. Heard that one of them. And I finally texted him and said, I remember what you did to me. I remember you coming to my bed. I remember fighting you off. I remember you pulling off my clothes. I remember all of this. And I sat there and I said, oh my God, Lord, I probably shouldn't have did that because if he comes back and say that didn't happen, I don't know where my mental state would be. I don't know what's going to happen to me. And I sat there for about three minutes and I was like, why did I do that? Why did you confront him? You knew you shouldn't have did that. And then the text came back in and said, I'm glad you confronted me. I've been such a coward about this all my life. I didn't know how to come and apologize. See, I knew I was in my truth. Everybody else will just look at you and look at the reactions to the trauma. They see what you're doing. They see how you're wilding out, but they're not paying attention to the reason you're wilding out. That's what they want to push up under the rug. But I confronted one of mine. When that validation came back, it freed me. It freed me because I knew I was telling the truth my whole life. I knew it. And I got up the next day and I filed for this nonprofit. I knew I was going to walk in my purpose and my truth once I was bold enough to confront that person. You are brave, absolutely brave. And I think that your bravery is one of the main things that's probably out here inspiring people the most. And speaking of that, for individuals who might be facing their own past traumas or obstacles, what advice, I mean, you kind of just went through it, but what advice do you offer in terms of taking those initial steps towards healing and personal growth? I'm, I'm going to say another cliche of ours or another stigma of ours as people of color is that therapy was not for us. We don't go to therapy. Um, that was for <laughs> other races, but not us. I'm here to tell you that that's not true. You can't carry, you've been carrying the weight of trauma on your own all these times and look at where it's gotten you. Um, my judge says something to me. He said, one day you're going to write me a letter and you're going to thank me because if I let you walk out here on your own strength, you're never going to get the help you need. And you're a time bomb and you're waiting to blow. And so he had to force me to get it. I don't want anybody else to be forced in that aspect to get it. But if you don't understand how trauma can come out in ways that you never imagined, you're, if you're holding on to it, then it's going to start spilling over into other areas of your life. And nine times out of 10, it comes out in the way we parent our children. We are looking at trauma 
raised babies out here right now. These 10-year-old kids carrying guns. These 9-year-old little girls that's out here that's hooking up with 17 and 18-year-old boys. All of these things that we're seeing out here, these are trauma-raised children. And so not only for them, but for yourself, we have got to get real. The hardest thing is to acknowledge you were the person that experienced the trauma. Yes, it happened to you. I had to say, yes, Lisha, somebody molested you. They took something from you. They hurt you. And this was somebody that said they loved you while they were doing it. So you equate love with hurt. If you don't beat me, hit me, or mistreat me, you must don't love me because that's how I learned the word love. It was an act that was hurting me. So we've got to get real and we've got to get real with us first. That's, that's going to be the biggest thing. And that's acknowledging that I've been through some things and not just saying I've been through some things, but really acknowledging someone that I cared about betrayed me and hurt me. And, and when you're done with that portion, it's going to be another portion that says, man, some people that love me and trusted me to parent them or care for them. I've betrayed that role as well because I haven't been the best parent myself. So it, it's about, you've got to get linked in that. You've got to get counseling and you got to get linked with people who are there to support you and help you and be that sounding board, not judge you. But just sometimes give you that ear when you need to talk. But it, it's a it's you've got to shake off a lot of stigmas, and you got to shake off of what the family's going to say if you start talking. You got to shake off um, how people are going to look at you when you start talking about your truth. You got to get rid of all that, because baby, people are talking about you anyway. You might as well heal in the process. So we got to get past that, and we just got to get. It, it, it's so many great African-American therapists out here too that are, that are their specialty is trauma. Mm -hmm. And I would say, find someone who don't know you. Find someone who don't know anything about you. Don't know your family. Don't have a dog in the fight where you can feel open and safe. Now you don't even have to go to the office. You could just get on the phone and talk. Mm -hmm. But yep. find someone to start getting that out of you because it's a cancer and it's just eating away at your peace and your purpose in this world. Okay. Because I was just telling a friend that when, especially when it comes to a hurt and trauma, such as grief, grief is hurt and trauma. Yes. The, you have to grab it by the balls, excuse me, but mm -hmm. you have to grab it by the balls in order to control it and mm -hmm. stay ahead of it because yes. grief and trauma will literally kill you. Yes. If it don't kill you, it will talk you into killing yourself. And yes. that's the real thing. Yes. And so I, I completely understand that. I do. Looking at your bio, I saw that you also received several awards and honors for your work in, with the youth and women, including mm -hmm. the Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm -hmm. What do these recognitions mean to you and how do they inspire you to, to keep going? And to be honest, they, they don't, I'm appreciative of them, but they don't mean that much to me. Let me tell you what means the most to me. Mm -hmm. um, text is at three o'clock in the morning that says, Miss Alicia, um, I, I, I'm home with my baby. Thank you. 
or Miss Alicia, I got my baby back. The court gave him back to me. And I want to thank you so much for standing there with me and support those. That's what means the world to me. Um, the, the outside world may never really know what we do at this organization. We don't get invited to the heads of the table and we don't, we don't get recognized in any of the St. Louis awards and all that. I, and guess what? I don't care because I can stay underground. I'm okay with that. It's these girls that come back and say, thank you. And I love you. And will you be at my high school graduation? And are you coming to the delivery room? I'm having contractions. That means I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And that's what means the world to me. Accolades are what they are. But uh, when God gives you a purpose and a destiny, um, to find out and to know that you are walking in it, that's that's the real reward. Because I'm going to leave all that hardware here when I leave this world and somebody going to send it over to the goodwill probably. I don't know. But the impact you make on others' lives. That's why we got to get this together right now mm -hmm. because the impact you leave with others is the true measurement of what you did here in this world when you were here. Yes, ma'am. Yes, so it, it's not about the hardware. Who cares? Your friend can give you some hardware. That, that don't mean nothing. Right. It's, it, it's about somebody saying, when I get stuck in a situation, I can reflect on a conversation that I had with Miss Tom to say, hey, oh, well, what was, yeah, we talked about this. That's right. I need to try this and do this. Or do. It's guiding. It's guiding others and that love you give to others. That's, that's what it's about right there. Yes, ma'am. I like talking to you, Miss Alicia. <laughs> 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 but to keep it going, because I can talk to you all day. For sure. For what, sure. What are some of the most valuable life lessons you've learned that you would like to impart to others, especially young women who may be navigating those challenging circumstances as you spoke on? I'm going to give you a sentence that I, I would love for each and every young woman up under the sound of this to take into their spirit. Your purpose in this world is tied to your greatest pain. That which sought out to kill and destroy you. That which they tried to use to take you out of here. Is the one thing that your purpose is tied to. Now don't get me wrong. Several things could be molded into that. But that pain that you think you can never get over, sleepless nights, I can never make it through this. But day by day, time passes, you're making it through. And you're making it through for a purpose and a reason. So don't let anybody steal your purpose from you. People are going to hurt you. We can't stop that situations are going to come at you and it may knock you flat on your back. Trust me, I've been knocked down more times than I care to count. But I don't care if you got to get up on your knees first before you're able to stand back up. But you got to get up. And once you get up, don't forget what knocked you down. I don't like it when people say, don't look back. I'm sorry. If I don't look back, I don't acknowledge where God brought me from. So yes, you do. You look back and you take the lessons and the blessings and you keep moving forward. You are worthy. 
You are strong. You are intelligent. You are more than even you can imagine you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves you. I love you. And you have a place in this world. You have a voice in this world. Speak, young sister. Speak. Ooh, baby. That right there, I'm sure I pulled that out of this audio. Yeah. Some content out of that because, honey, I'm sorry if my voice gets shaky because it's okay. Baby, I've been, I have helped. I've been there for a friend who recently lost their mother. And I I've done everything in my power to ensure that it doesn't take me back. Mm-hmm. I lost my mom six years ago, and that is a trauma that I've experienced. And then I just recently acknowledged it maybe a year, two years ago, that it is trauma, that mm-hmm. it is PTSD. I'm I'm the only child. Mm-hmm. So, and as close as me and my mother was, she was my protector. She was my safe space. She was my safe haven. And I didn't realize how much I leaned on her and depended on her that when she died, I was so lost. Yes. I was extremely lost. But what you just said is something my mama would have told me. That's exactly how my mother would have told it to me. When you said you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that is a quote right out of my mama's diary. Okay, so thank you for that. Because after a long, hard week and dealing with women, or other men that is just not as influential, that kind of add the the heaviness to the day. You know, sometimes we need to hear that. Yes. I truly, 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 truly thank you and appreciate you. Again, we don't even know each other. We haven't (laughs) even met each other. But if I was in front of you right now, we would be hugging and crying. Definitely. Honey, I didn't know that you were what I needed. I oh, but guess what? God knew. Okay. And, he <laughs> did. and I want to take this moment to shout out Mr. Tao of the St. Louis Argus newspaper. Yeah. Mr. Tao is the one who slid me your name and your yeah. intention for me to even reach out to you. He told me to be ready. He told me how how much you was going to bring to me and what you was going to bring to me. And I kept my expectations low, but baby, you blew them of the water. And I'm so grateful for you. <laughs> I am. You have truly made my night. So I'm going to head into my last question. One of my last questions okay. and that is looking ahead. What are your future aspirations and projects? How do you plan to continue your work in empowering individuals and communities? So short term, right now I'm focused on a community Christmas baby shower for my moms in the community. Um, For Christmas, I just want to give about 40 of them baskets uh, filled with nothing but baby stuff, pampers, everything they can need to get started out on the right foot. Um, That's kind of my... I'm a community service type of person. So that's my, I didn't want to do toys and all that. I wanted to just give something special to these moms that are pregnant out here right now. So that's going to be my short term. Um, Long term, my goal, honestly, I want a center 
for my girls, um, not necessarily transitional housing, but I want a center for my girls, a safe space where they are able to come and get everything they need inside one building. Um, you need to see counseling there up on floor two. You want to learn how to sew. It's down the hall to the right. You want to get your nails done, go down the hall to the left. It's on us. Um, you need to learn how to wash your clothes, call a uh, white separated from colors. It's over there. Take the kids down to the daycare center while you do all these things. Um, let's learn to cook let's learn to just really pour into ourselves um as young women and and so um you know it's real easy for our girls to get misled right now it's a lot of social media it's a lot of sickness it's a lot of drugs out here it's a lot of just evil out here it's real easy for our girls to get um misled real quick and so places that they can go because a lot of girls don't like to go home I did after school here over the last year and I just, those girls would cry when it was time to go home. I just don't want to go home. I hate going home. Um, we had rec centers to go to when we were coming up that we could stay to, to eight, nine 30 or whatever till it was time to go home. Um, I want to be that safe space for these girls for when they get out of school and they just don't want to go home. Cause mom may be working and there's that those hours that they don't feel safe. They're not protected. Um, I want to have a place for them to go. The no men allowed, no males can work there. I need you to understand when you walk through these doors, it's all about you. You're safe. Nobody's looking at you the wrong way. When I say you're beautiful today, I'm letting you know you're beautiful today. I'm not trying to come on to you. I'm not looking at you a certain way. That's my goal. That's my dream. That that's my ultimate thing that I would love to have. So that's kind of what I'm working on until then. Uh, I'm going to keep investing in young girls and investing in these moms as best that I can, even, even their moms. I'm going to keep trying to do all the things that God will put inside of me to do. I'm going to keep being a vessel. All right. I hear that. And, um, how do we go about getting in touch with you? If we want to be a part of whatever program you're running for the month or the year, um, or just simply get to know you and follow you in your steps. How do we, how do we follow you? So I'm going to give you a lot. Okay. To get to know me personally, you want to link with me personally. <laughs> um, on Facebook, I am Alicia Jones Pickens. You can find me. Now, there's a whole nother side to me. So I'm going to say this. Um, you'll find me at Alicia Jones Pickles on Facebook. Uh, but I also have Instagram as Gifted Hands Boutique because I also create dolls. Um, I don't know if he told you that, but I actually can recreate people into dolls. Um, was blessed to meet New Edition. Made dolls a New Edition. Made dolls a Jodeci. Um, made dolls a David Mann. Um, so that's my hobby. And I actually learned how to do that while in prison. Um, this lady taught me how to crochet to keep from fighting. So I would have a chance to come home and, and see my children again. And so I took that and she taught me how to do it by sight. So I can't read patterns, but I can look at you and I can recreate you into a doll. Um, so that's gifted hands boutique. So that's gifted with the gifted hands, but the boutique has B O U the number two. I Q U E. Um, so that's me personally, Alicia J Pickens on Facebook and Gifted Hands Boutique on Instagram. Um, as far as Community of Hope, the organization is on Facebook under Community of Hope, C O H S T L. We are on Instagram under C O H St. Louis. You can call us 314 887 5941. 
That's 314-887-5941. And you can email us at communityofhopestl at gmail.com. All right, girlfriend, you better spit it out. <laughs> you get smooth, baby. And that's what I'm talking about. I, I like to hear that. And I want to make sure on a personal note that me and you, we do some more work. Like I mentioned before, I am an area educator for Lincoln University Cooperative Extension here mm-hmm. in St. Louis, Missouri, that is on Riverview. Um, I also have a program that is called 4L. 4L is based off the four principles of live, learn, listen, and lead. So my mentorship program is for ages 12 to 18. I will also be 22. And my program is focused on those four principles in order to nurture your basic life skills and get you college ready. And if you're Mm -hmm. not ready to go to college, we would talk trade school. If you don't want to go to trade school, let's lay you out a plan. So that way you are still successful no matter what you decide to do with your life. And so that that comes with different activities, different um, collaborations with other nonprofit organizations. So outside of Unplugged, I would love to connect with you as well. Definitely. 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 I like that. Okay. You said, give me those four L's again. Four L is live, learn, listen, and lead. Amen. All right. I like that. I like that. So as of right now, I am out of questions, but I want to thank you so, 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 so much, Miss Alicia, for sharing your incredible journey and your insight with us today on Unplugged. Your dedication to making a positive impact is truly inspiring, and we look forward to following you in your continued success. We wish you all the best, and I am so excited to see what these mamas bust out and do. (laughs) amen amen look i'm excited too look i'm waiting on this one to see what she gonna do so i'm not sitting here all night okay (laughs) baby we want you here as you always stay here and on in the world of tom remember to pass on the word and good night thank you so much again miss alicia you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.